Nebraska Public Media Sports brings you Nebraska baseball. Catch our live coverage as the Huskers meet the Indiana Hoosiers on the Diamond at Hawksfield at Haymarket Park in Lincoln. Watch Friday, May 10th at 6 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media. Welcome to Hurt at Sports Radio. Welcome back. Kicking off hour number two here on Hurt at Sports Radio on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. Want to uh, be joined or want to bring in now, sorry, our friend Brian Burton on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline. He is a college basketball analyst for ESPN and the field of 68. Brian, how are you this morning? I'm well. How are you guys doing, gentlemen? We are doing well. Uh, Brian, I, I wanted to kind of start off big picture here with you uh, in the world of college basketball this year. We've talked a lot about uh, kind of as a college basketball community, the parity in college basketball this year. Is that a storyline you're buying that there really are no great teams, just a bunch of really good teams? Yeah, I think there's. I think this is something that you'll see relatively consistently going forward in college basketball. I think we all know that the two bigger changes that have ever happened in our game of college basketball, which is the transfer portal being uh, almost a way of free agency, if you will. The one-time transfer has now become the two- and three-time transfer, it sounds like. So kids are going to be able to leave on a regular to, to go to different schools. So I think that part is in the NIL portion as well, just – you know, kids wanting to be enticed to, you know, possibly make money that can change their lives in some ways, the same way coaches do. So I think because of that, you have so much change, you have so much talent that is across the board that is at levels that normally would not have been able to be at those certain levels. So I think, yeah, I think parity is going to be a thing. And I think even though you have teams like Purdue and uh, University of Houston or people that have a lot of players back that are building around that continuity, I think that is a big formula to be great, but I think because of um, the variance of talent that is spread across college basketball, I think this is going to be a common thing going forward uh, that you'll see in college basketball. Brian, off the top of your head here, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, like ballpark, how many teams do you think could win a national title this year? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, I think that 10 or 15 range, even though that sounds like a lot, I think – you know, there's always those teams that emerge. You, you think about UConn when they weren't necessarily a favorite team when, when they've done it twice now, um, where they kind of got hot in the Big East tournament. They're playing in such a battle-tested league that they get hot and then they make a run, and then next thing you know, they never look back. I think there's, you know, even UConn even last year, you know, no one really expected for that to happen the way that it did. So I think that's one example. You think about the outliers that have almost done it. San Diego State last year, um, Florida Atlantic in the Final Four. You got the VCU story from a long time ago and the Butler when when Brad Stevens is there. So I think there's always going to be some outlier teams that just get hot because the tournament is that neutral floor. If you have three-point shooting, it definitely makes a difference in the tournament. If you have an elite defense, it definitely can make a difference. And if you have depth, and sometimes it's just a matchup. You know, the, the tournament is not about the best team necessarily overall because sometimes if, if you get a win and the other team upsets 
and you have a great matchup where you can be dominant, you just kind of get some momentum. And next thing you know, uh, that momentum can be a really powerful tool to keep running. So I would say that 10 to 15 range, believe it or not, and I think that's kind of going to be a consistent thing until we have a dominant team. And I don't think we have a dominant team. We have some dominant players, but I don't think we have a dominant team in college basketball. With that being said, has any team surprised you or caught your attention that you may see being a front runner uh, in a team that could surprise people down the stretch? Yeah, I think um, I think there's been some good surprises. I think Kentucky being a good team, I think they're leading the nation in scoring. Um, Calipari's obviously done it before, and you know he has a young team, so those young players just continue to get better and better as it goes. So I think they're a team to keep an eye on. I think Purdue is, you know, one of those teams that's not necessarily surprising, but they haven't had a tournament run to the liking that they have wanted. So I think, you know, they may surprise people in the tournament to be able to make that run. I think Zach Eady is obviously a dominant player. and They, they kind of remind you a little bit of that Virginia team that experienced that UMBC and then came back and had the special run that they had. Uh, I think Seton Hall is a team they keep an eye on. No one's talking a lot about it. Shaheen Holloway obviously did it at St. Peter's. He's got the kind of edge as a coach and connection with his players, and they're leading the Big East. They've been a surprise team. Um, yeah, I like I like the Mountain West, even though they haven't had great tournament success either. I think another battle-tested league. Uh, and then I think the Big 12, I mean, you can just name any team in the Big 12. You think about Texas Tech years ago going all the way to, to play against Virginia. Uh, there's I think there's eight teams that are ranked in the Big 12 right now where it could have potentially be nine, nine teams that are ranked at some point in time in the year in that league, and maybe even 10. So I think that that league in general is one to watch because, again, when you have that kind of battle-testedness and you've kind of been through the ringer in your conference, when you get to see the teams in the NCAA tournament, you have a much more significant chance to have some success. Because the area we're in, that conversation about best basketball conference kind of comes up a lot between the Big East, the Big 12, and the Big 10. Is it safe to say the Big 12 has been that dominant basketball conference for a while, or who has started to maybe rival that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm biased. I'm Big 12 country. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I grew up in Texas, so I grew up Big 12 country. And, you know, I, I think that and even my time in college coaching, most of my time was spent more in that region than any other region. But yeah. I, I think, you know, the Big Ten has had a success. There's there's no doubt, you know, when you just look at the good teams. But I just think the top to bottom, I mean, again, you talk about ten teams. There's been nine teams so far in, in the Big 12 that have been ranked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you count in Kansas State, if they can sneak in there, um, they can be another team. So I think that's, that's definitely has been the consistent one. And then even when you look at the national championships, you got to give them their respect with Baylor, with yeah. uh, Kansas, you know, and then again, I talked about Texas Tech going. But I do think the SEC is a really good basketball league, um, you know, as far as at the top. I think Big Ten has, has, has not had the tournament success that people would want because they've had the regular season success. So I think if you put all of it together, I think totality is Big 12, but I do think the Big Ten, you guys are in Big Ten country, of course. So mm-hmm. I, I would say. It's right, it's right there close, but I don't think it's in the same yeah. uh, exact category. We're talking with Brian Burton, college basketball analyst for ESPN in the field of 68. Brian, on the other side of that coin from teams that may be surprising to some this year, 
Who have you seen that you had high expectations for that haven't quite lived up to those expectations about a little more than halfway through the season? Yeah, I think there's been a few of these. I think I think those are the ones that you're just kind of scratching your head. You know, Michigan State was ranked really high early. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't quite found their stride. So I would definitely have to put them in that category, unfortunately, even though I love Izzo and I uh, grew up in Michigan State. My dad went to school there. Uh, and then I would say, you know, the USC's of the world have been disappointing. I think they're under 500 now. Uh, Texas has been in that category. They've been disappointing. They've been rated high early in the season. You're kind of looking around of what, what are they going to do to follow up from last year. Uh, I think there's a handful of them like that, you know, that, that have really been ranked high early on preseason. But then you get to the season and you're kind of looking around like, well, what happened? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that goes back to the parity. I think you want to base it on previous success. You want to base it on – but the transfer portal, I know it's such a common conversation piece, but it's a, it is such a big changing factor because teams are used to having so much continuity. And now the way you can acquire talent is so different than it ever has been before. So I think – if you're really good at managing, putting together a team quickly, then that helps a ton. And if you're not used to that, or maybe there's some, um, you know, you you have that upside when you still add new players too. Whereas when you have sometimes the continuity, it doesn't always come back the way you want. And sometimes, uh, you know, I think managing the NIL part of it is a thing too, the locker room and who's getting what and how does that work and how are you able to, you know, keep these young people focused. Unfortunately, Michigan's probably in that category too. They've been disappointing uh, in how they played. I hate to pick on two Big Ten teams. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, those those teams, when they're, when they're good in college basketball, it's, it's a fun thing for the entire nation. And obviously you see, you know, even the Alabamas of the world, uh, Arkansas, There's there's been some teams – uh, and probably more Arkansas than Alabama. But, yeah, there's just been some teams with their football team and their athletic department you're used to just seeing thrive, and now you're seeing them kind of being much more human and you're kind of looking around like, you know, it's like North Carolina last year a little bit. They went through that where they had a big-time season the year before, then their preseason number one, then they don't make the tournament, and now North Carolina's playing back to some elite basketball. So I think the challenge is you see, the, you see a lot of the greats in the Hall of Famers stepping away from the game, including – now in football, Nick Saban, there, there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to coach in this climate maybe than ever before if you came up in the old climate because you got spoiled with the ways that you could be dominant, and now <laughs> the game has just changed quite a bit. We're talking with Brian Burton, ESPN college analyst, as well as the field of 68. Uh, Brian, you know, you mentioned the, some of the challenges with NIL. You know, it was already challenging enough to – uh, you know, with playing time and some guys are stars and some guys aren't stars. How, I mean, you coached for a long time. How would you manage just some of the personalities when you've got in some cert- situations such an uneven distribution of NIL money and, and attention and things like that where since there are actually dollar amounts attached to it now, it's really kind of emphasized that gap between the stars and the role players. Yeah, it's really, really interesting because the, the coaches don't get to decide it, mm-hmm. so, but you have to manage it. So in some ways, it's becoming a lot more like how pro sports is. It's not pro sports, but it's becoming that way because, you know, again, the coaches don't get to decide how much you're, you know, allotted as far as your NIL. 
and then players don't always know what the other players are getting. Although the locker room talks, there's there's not this exact number like there is that says, hey, you get this, you get that. You you have an understanding, you have a feel, but I think it's extremely challenging to manage. And I think, you know, this day and age, your ability to connect with people, your ability to motivate, your ability to understand young players why and young young players to get them to, again, coaches call it buy-in a lot, but that's, you know, the buy-in or the believe-in or the trust that can be built is the most differentiating factor in coaching these days because it's really not about the X's and O's near as much, although that always is going to play a factor. It's about the culture that you can have. It's about, you know, again, that collective belief that you're able to generate. And I think some players, some coaches are doing a more – uh, intentional job to identify players that are not as caught up in that in the recruiting process and kind of have a little more hunger that maybe you don't have to uh, go get and play, pay as much, so to speak, so that you can have their attention and you can have their buy-in a little easier and have that kind of chip on their shoulder. So I think that's one part of it. I think at the mid-major level, a lot of mid-majors are getting pretty smart in the fact that they're using their resources to retain the great players, right? You think about a Tyler Perry that was at uh, Conference USA Player of the Year at North Texas. They almost lost him the year before, but they put so much money into or energy into retaining him instead of trying to go get the next player. Well, then they lead him to an NIT championship, and he gets Player of the Year. And then the next year, you probably can't keep him, but that's okay. You you knew your, you know the shelf life to keep a great player at a mid-major is shorter, but you want to keep them for that one more year versus trying to go get the new guy from a new school that is going to be adjusted just into your system that may not be quite the same fit. So it's challenging. Again, I think that's why a lot of coaches are trying to get out, and you see a lot more younger coaches moving up the ranks. You see kind of coaches that have been at the Division two or junior college level that are used to piecing together rosters. So it's an interesting time, but a cool time in college basketball. Yeah, because we're up in Nebraska, we do have to ask the question about the Huskers. Um, you yes, know, we, yes. we've seen the ups and downs of their season already, beating a Purdue, but then having, a, you know, a tough loss at Rutgers the other day. You know, where do you see maybe the potential for this team? I know the fan base is, is hungry for an NCAA tournament appearance here soon, and the culture seems like it's there, but it's more or less the consistency that tends to be that question mark a little bit. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, they can't play all their games at home, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> The way that they play at home, they are one team. They are not the same team uh, quite on the road. But, yeah, I like, the, I like the upside of the team. I think, again, you're playing in the Big Ten, so that gives you some confidence that if you can finish in the upper half that you have a chance to make the tournament. Uh, they've proven that they can play against the best. They need a few more home games. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, their, their, their ability to play at home, again, I think they can make enough shots. They have a great home crowd. You know, you have to give – Nebraska credit the way they show up for volleyball and basketball and mm-hmm. football. I mean, just the 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 following. It's like having a whole another player or two possibly. So I do think if they can continue to protect home the way they have, I think they're eleven and one at home. If they can continue to protect home the way they have, uh, and just steal a few road games, have a few road splits. The Big Ten is not as strong. I mean, you really have three outlier teams that are in the top twenty-five. Outside of that. It's really just a wide-open game. I don't know that there's anyone that has proven that they're significantly consistent. So Nebraska is just in a pool with 
everyone else in that top three. And if you can get a couple more quality wins against an Illinois and Wisconsin along the way too, that only helps you. So I think there's a chance. I don't think the Big Ten is quite as strong. <laughs> I think they definitely have a chance. they got to keep dominating at home and, and still a few on the road. Brian, you mentioned Nebraska with just the one home loss. That one home loss was to their in-state rival, Creighton. You've seen this Creighton team, made the Elite Eight last year, just about a play away from making the Final Four, had high expectations again this year, um, and have looked like that team at times. However, you see them the other day against UConn, and there seems to be kind of a, a different level there that they're not quite at at this point in the season. So far from what you've seen with Creighton, where do you think their ceiling is this year? Yeah, I think there's uh, they need they need another player to emerge to me. It's kind of like Nebraska playing it on the road needs to be kind of their uh, emergence, you know, for, for Creighton. I think they have probably a four really good players in their in their lineup. I think the fifth player is kind of uh, an out. They just don't know. It's an unknown to get a consistent fifth player in that kind of uh, lineup. But I think the way they shoot the ball is, is, is too important to them being great. And, again, that UConn game, you know, they're 23% from three and really didn't do as well as, you know, a typical Creighton team can do from three. Um, and I don't think they're as good in the paint, you know, consistently. So they got to figure out, again, a fifth player to really step in and help them. I think Trey Alexander is t- terrific as far as what he can do for their team. They don't have a lot of playmaking outside of him, though, so it makes it a lot of pressure to kind of have a system rather than being able to have a few players that can make some plays outside of the system. So uh, I do think UConn is a dominant team, so I think them playing against them was great for them to kind of see, okay, like, we're good, but we gotta we got to push for more to be great. Uh, but I just think, yeah, finding a consistent uh, fifth and sixth player in the rotation to really emerge, and then I think – yeah, their three-point shooting is, is, is going to be something that they like to do and they need to be able to do it at a higher level along with being able to get to the free throw line and kind of balance out their attacks that are not so kind of singular dimensional. All right, Brian, before we get you out of here, I want to ask you, what is your least popular college basketball take this year <laughs> that you firmly believe? Uh, <laughs> my least popular. Uh you know, we focus a lot on the mid-major level, and so I think the least popular is probably uh, anything around some of these mid-majors either getting that large bid, which seems much harder now than it was. Princeton and GCU are, are the ones that have the biggest chance at this point because mm-hmm. they get a chance to be pretty dominant in their league. I think GCU, they still have one loss, if I'm not mistaken, and they can run the table. Their league is, like any league, it's hard to do that. Princeton's in a similar boat. Both their net rankings are pretty high. So we're advocating for mid-majors to get a little more love. So I think anything that that talks about a mid-major having a chance to either get an at-large bid or play in the second weekend is probably the most unpopular take because most people just like to talk about, you know, the power six or seven conferences. Brian, I will say, I think we're on the same page here because I firmly believe that a, like, 23 or 24 win mid-major team should get the nod as an at-large over like an 18, 19, 20 win major conference team because the major conference team has already shown us what they can do, right? Like we didn't, you know, I I go back to the Trey Young Oklahoma team that was on 18 and 14 or something, right? It's like they had every opportunity to win their way in. 
they didn't do it, why should we give them another opportunity? So I think I'm on the same page with you there with the mid-majors. Yeah, I mean, I think you think of a team like, you know, you go back to GCU, Stanford just has a had a huge win against Western Carolina. They, they're probably not an at-large team. They only have two losses, but they've won 16 games in a row. And GCU's won 14 games mm-hmm. in a row. I mean, when you get a chance to win 25, 26, 27 games, and you don't get to see these teams in the tournament. I just think that's the unfortunate part about the tournament is that, you know, it's it's money driven. We all know it. It's a business. So it's hard in those in those um last spots, those at large spots to to give, you know, mid majors as much because of different financial reasons or, or agendas that may be behind it. But man, as a college basketball player, I think we all love to see how those teams can match up when they're on a neutral floor. And those are some of the best stories every year in a tournament. Everyone loves the Cinderella story, the St. Peter's, the, um, what was the team with uh, Tobin Anderson last year? Um, I know he's at Iona now. I'm drawing a blank on the team he was at. But, yeah, all these teams that are able to make these magical runs, I think that's the – I mean, even San Diego State making it to the title game, mm-hmm. FAU making it to the Final Four, everyone wants to see – these teams have a chance and I think with the transfer portal and the way that college basketball is now it's you're going to see more upsets than you've ever seen potentially because there is more talent across the board you're going to see you know again Purdue loosen the way that they did uh you're going to see these things happen much more often than you ever have so I'm rooting for the mid-majors I coached a lot of my career at that level and I think it's a it's a special level when you can have Mm -hmm. great teams at that level so yeah, I'm excited to see. I would say those are probably my most unpopular <laughs> takes. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that. I'll, I'll put my stake in the ground with it. Well, Brian, I'm right there with you. I grew up watching Creighton in the Missouri Valley, so I'm all about those mid-majors. Uh, Brian. Yeah, and shout out to <laughs> Omaha. They're, yep. they're doing well at conference play. They're, they're getting it going. Coach Crutchfield is in year two and getting a little bit of momentum, three and two in conference, and they're eight and one at home. So I like what, what, what I see them doing. And, Coach Crutch is an outstanding human, too, so I'm yeah. glad to see them kind of get some things going. Brian Burton, ESPN College Analyst, as well as the Field of 68. Brian, we appreciate your time. It was great talking to you, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks so much, and enjoy uh, conference play. Mm-hmm. All righty, you too. That's Brian Burton. He is a college basketball analyst for uh, the Field of 68, as well as ESPN uh, college basketball. He does a bunch of games, uh, as he mentioned, a lot of mid-major games for uh, ESPN's coverage. So really appreciate uh, Brian Burton with his time. He's coached awesome. everywhere. He's he's been a, he was a Division One uh, assistant for 15 years. Uh, also coached some JUCO, which, by the way, I think I think JUCO is the hardest level to coach at. Yeah. Because you're con- and and you see it now a little bit with Division One, where you're kind of like rebuilding your roster every year to a certain extent. Yeah. But just because of the nature of junior college sports, you're literally rebuilding your roster every single year. Right. And the ability, the people that can win consistently at junior colleges blow my mind. I, I don't understand it at all. Yeah, across all levels. Like, and you don't really have many guidelines. No. Like, it's, it's kind of the Wild West. Much, it is. It's, yeah. They, you know, they tell kids, if you're going to go JUCO, like, it's going to toughen you up. Be There's ready not for guidelines. it. Yeah. There's, I mean, I used to recruit kids at the NAI level, and a lot of our competition were junior colleges, and... 
a lot of times they're they're selling you a dream, right? Like, hey, you go JUCO, then you could go D1 or whatever. And a lot of kids want that dream, right? But what they don't tell them a lot of times is, hey, we're also recruiting 40 kids this year. Yep. So oh, you're yeah. going to come in and you're like, if you don't make an impression in the first week, like, good oh, luck. yeah, see ya. We yeah. may not remember your name. Yeah, these baseball rosters from COVID oh, years in JUCO. crazy. 65 kids? Like, yeah. oh. I've seen literally 40 kids on a basketball roster mm-hmm. in JUCO. It's blows my mind it's yeah. one of the hardest jobs yeah. in all of yeah, coaching kudos to y'all yeah I, I i could not do it yeah uh coming up next we're about halfway through the show more heard at sports radio on am 590 espn omaha espn tri-cities